Amen. Let us uh, turn our confessional reading this evening on page 216 in the Smaller Forms and Prayers book, Lord's Day 15 from the Heidelberg Catechism. Page 216, Lord's Day 15. Question and answers 37, 38, and 39. And you'll see from our outline that our theme is really follows question and answer 39 very closely. I'll read the question. Let's say the answers together, beginning with question 37. What do you understand by the word suffered? That during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. This he did in order that, by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us, body and soul, from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. Why did he suffer under Pontius Pilate as judge? So that he, though innocent, might be condemned by an earthly judge and so free us from the severe judgment of God that was to fall on us. Is it significant that he was crucified instead of dying some other way? Yes. yes. By his death, I am convinced that he shouldered the curse which lay on me since death by crucifixion was cursed by God. So our confessional reading. Let us turn now to the very word of God, Deuteronomy chapter 21. We'll read verses 22 and That is page 208, the Bibles under the seats. Deuteronomy 21, reading verses 22 and 23. Let us hear the word of God. And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, and he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree. His body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. So far the reading, the grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our Lord endures forever. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever heard of an evil eye? 
Do you know what an evil eye is? Well, the evil eye is an old superstitious belief. It dates back to before the days of Jesus Christ, and it existed in many cultures after the days of Jesus Christ. And uh, the basic uh, idea of the superstition of the evil eye is this, that if you fall under the glare of an evil eye, you are cursed. There are some ways that you can try to protect yourself against the evil eye. And one of the most uh, common ways is to take a, to take a stone a necklace and to paint what's called an evil eye uh, onto it. You might call it the evil eye charm that protects against the evil eye glare. And if you wear that, uh, that necklace, that evil eye protection, or sometimes it would be the evil eye charm would be put on other objects, then you could be protected from the curse of the evil eye glare. Well, people of God, can we laugh at such ideas? Can we call such superstitions foolish? Well, indeed, we can call them foolish. We can and we should. But we should not laugh off evil eyes because curses do not exist. We should call evil eyes foolish because that kind of curse does not exist. Curses are real. Specifically, there is one curse which stands upon every single human being who has ever lived, the exception of one and his miraculous conception. There is one curse, the curse of sin, which every single man and woman has had coming from Adam and Eve. And it's not only a real curse which is upon all mankind, but it is a real curse which, being upon mankind, also impacts all of the earth which is under our stewardship. Curses are real. There is one curse which impacts each and every one of us. And so uh, we think not about the false superstitious curse which was found throughout centuries, throughout all kinds of different cultures. No, we, we think about the real curse. We think about the curse of sin. And we think about it with this theme tonight. Shouldering the cross, Jesus Christ shouldered the curse of sin. And we're going to begin, if you're, if you're following the outline... We're going to begin with this first point, the curse and our guilt. Our text begins, and if a man has committed a crime punishable by death. Well, what is a crime punishable by death? There are many crimes punishable by death in the Old Testament Mosaic Law. And to consider the crimes punishable by death is to uh, get part of the way to thinking about what is the, the curse and our guilt. Because the Old Testament nation of Israel had many death penalties which taught the Old Testament nation of Israel that peculiarly chosen people of God to be a special nation for him and under his direct rule and under his direct laws given through Moses. This taught the serious consequences of sin. Nine of the Ten Commandments 
have at least one death penalty tied to them. Let's take just three examples. Our first example is from the verses immediately before our text. There is a description of a rebellious son, not just of any age, but old enough for that rebellion to even express itself in drunkenness and gluttony in verse 20. And if a mature son was expressing rebellion to such degrees, he was to be put to death. There is at least one death penalty tied to the fifth commandment. And if we were to read Exodus chapter 21, we would find at least one more. The second example is from Deuteronomy chapter 19. If you turn back just a page or two to Deuteronomy chapter 19, we see in verses 15 to 21 the description of a case where a lie leads to the death penalty. We see it especially in verse 19. And uh, the, the circumstance is this, that someone is testifying in the court of law and that testimony, if it was true, would bring the condemned person to death. In other words, you're a witness in a capital uh, crime court case. And if you lie as such a witness... Then, verse 19, you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So if you lie in such a circumstance and you are caught in that lie, the penalty is the death penalty. There is at least one death penalty in the Mosaic law tied to the ninth commandment. And then we're going to turn to Leviticus chapter 24 to just look at one more example from one more law. Uh, turning back to Leviticus uh, chapter 24, we read about this example among the many death penalties in the Mosaic law. We read this in Leviticus 24 verses 15 and 16. And speak to the people of Israel, saying, Whoever curses his God shall bear his sin. Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him, sojourner as well as the native, when he blasphemes the name shall be put to death. Now, unlike the death penalty laws in Israel related to other commandments, such as to the ninth or to the fifth or to the seventh, uh, this is not a qualified death penalty. If you violate the third commandment and blaspheme God, then you are to be put to death. Now, if we work through all of the lists, as we're going to stop there for specific examples, if we work through all of the list of that which requires the death penalty in the Mosaic law, we have not gone far enough. Because there would be a temptation 
to say, well, go through all these laws and, and, and check them off one at a time and uh, say, well, I haven't committed any of those. Therefore, I'm not under the curse of the law because I haven't violated any of those commandments which specifically are tied to the death penalty in the Mosaic law. Although, even when we just read Leviticus 24, let's ask how many, how many times is that law violated in our hearing, in the TVs, in our living rooms, in the language of our neighbors, and how many of us have even perhaps violated that commandment in our life? But you see, if we work through that commandment and all of the other commandments about the death penalty, we have not gone far enough. Please turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 27. So let me go back to our text and we go forward, not too far, to Deuteronomy 27 verse 26. Is the, is the curse of God... specific only to the death penalties in the Mosaic Law? No, it is not. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 26. Cursed be anyone who does not conform to the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. And immediately the next verse speaks about all of his commandments, being careful to do all of his commandments. What do we have the end of chapter 27, the beginning of chapter 28, we have very broad language and we have cursed is anyone who does not follow all of the laws of God. So what does that mean? What does that mean? What does it mean if we take the one commandment that doesn't have a specified death penalty in the Old Testament at all at any point? What is that one commandment? It's the one commandment not legislated in the national law of Israel. It's the tenth commandment. You shall not covet. And what do we say? If I break even that commandment, am I under the curse of God? And the answer is yes. If you break my law at any point, as the author of James say, Whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles in one point is guilty of all. If you have even a single sin in your heart, you are under the curse of God. And what does the Apostle Paul say in Romans 3? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does the Apostle Paul say in Romans 6? The wages of sin is death. If we just count up all of the death penalty laws in the Old Testament, we have not gone far enough to consider the curse of the law. The curse of the law is upon every single one of us, apart from Christ. Because we have all stumbled in the law. And finally, any stumbling in the law is to become one who is under the curse of God. And what is the wages? What is the payment for sin? It is death. You know, anyone who would simply laugh at superstitious unbelievers and their believing in curses, you know, there is a sense in which the, 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 the 
superstitious unbeliever is closer to the truth than many unbelievers today. Because there are so many who believe that there's no spiritual danger at all. That there's no such thing as a curse. That there's no such thing as, as, a, as a penalty that we stand under. And while both the superstitious unbeliever and the materialistic unbeliever, while they both stand in, in that very dangerous place of not trusting in the only one who can deliver us, as, as we'll continue to see as we work through our sermon, even though they are both in a very dangerous situation, there's a sense in which the materialistic unbeliever is, is even farther from the truth than some superstitious person who would believe in an evil eye. Because at least, at least then you have an understanding of spiritual danger. And missionaries who have gone to very spiritualistic, very superstitious people have had an opening of the gospel there. Because they speak and they begin their preaching in the fact that there is spiritual danger, that there is spiritual darkness, and you need to be delivered from that darkness. It is, in many ways, more difficult to find a starting point with the materialistic unbeliever. There is a real curse, and apart from Christ, we are all under that curse. It is the curse of sin and the penalty is death. And so we need to think about the curse and death and work towards the cross in our second point and then into our third point. Because there is a specific curse related, related to a specific way that one could be put to death. And so now we're at our second point, and we continue reading in verse 22. If on a tree his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man. Anyone who is hanged upon a tree is cursed by God. Now the death penalty in ancient Israel was not carried out by hanging a man on a tree. They were specifically told that they could not do that. It was carried out through stoning or by the sword. But we, we see that there was a practice already, the implication is that it existed even before the days of Moses and is, is now continuing into the days of Moses and the Mosaic law must address it. There was a practice of taking the one who was condemned to death and after they would put, were put to death to hang that one upon a tree as a warning. There's the warning. Be ye warned. And while the Mosaic Law says that they should not be put to death that way, it says you may continue this practice of hanging the body as a warning. That body on a tree is cursed of God in a particular way. It cannot remain on the tree. You must take it off the tree before darkness, so that the land may not be both literally and spiritually impacted by that cursed body. Well now, brothers and sisters, let's turn to John chapter 19. Let's turn to John chapter 19. We're going to read a handful of verses from the account of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. 
We'll begin reading in John 19 at verse 14. We are all under, question and answer 37 calls, eternal condemnation. We are all under the curse of death, the curse of of sin. Where is the answer? Where is the redemption found? Verses 14 and 15, Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He, that is Pontius Pilate, said to the Jews, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. We're looking mostly at question and answer 39 tonight. Why does question and answer 38, following the Apostles' Creed, mention Pontius Pilate? It is because Jesus Christ really was a man who lived in history. And his going to the cross was a historical event. It was a reality. It was a real event that occurred under a real earthly ruler carried out by a real man, Jesus Christ. And it was the only way that we could be delivered from the real curse not some superstitious curse. Verse 16. So he delivered him over to be crucified. And so they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him. And with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. When the Romans would carry out crucifixion, it was their pattern and it is almost certain this is what they how they did it with Christ, that they would that they would leave the vertical post in the ground. And so it would be one would be one post always there so that you didn't have to bury it and rebury it. It was, it was both what we might call a cruel convenience and a warning to the people under Roman rule. There's the vertical post, the branchless tree upon which the next criminal will be crucified. And then when a condemned criminal would carry their cross to carry their cross to the cross, it meant that they would take the horizontal beam, and usually that beam would weigh about 30 to 40 pounds by itself, and the condemned would take it upon their shoulder and they would carry it to the vertical beam, which was already in the ground. This is, this is what Christ did. He went to the tree. He went to be accursed of God and not not just as the Jews who would be accursed after their death and hanging on the tree no in his death itself and then in dying being there in death in in every way the death of Jesus Christ 
was the death of curse-bearing. And he shoulders his own wood curse-signifying load as he goes to the cross. And brothers and sisters, see, that's the language of our theme following the language of our confession. He shouldered the curse which lay on me. So it is that the only innocent man who ever lived, the only righteous one, the only one who did not deserve the curse of God, took the curse, willingly bore it, carried it, was hung upon it, both in death and then through his death, so that in every way, the death of Jesus Christ was the cursed death, not only in every, not only in every physical way, not only in every visible way, but also in every spiritual sense, because the very wrath of God poured out the, the penalty against our sin, our curse of sin. It is all poured out there at that event, at that cross, as Jesus Christ is put to death. The curse and Christ's cross. The curse is where the cross is where Christ bears the curse. He shoulders it all. Shouldering the cross, Christ shouldered the curse. And so now I ask when we when we when we state our theme. Can you add two words to the end of our theme? Shouldering the cross. Christ shouldered the curse for me. Because that is the confession of a believer. That is, we are really just restating the question and answer in the Heidelberg Catechism for question 39. Do you hear the personal language here? Yes, by his death, I am convinced he shouldered the curse which lay on me. And the, the reality of the, the curse being tied visibly to one who is tied on the tree and, and that reality in Old Testament law, it is given for us, for you, for me, so that as we consider Christ shouldering the cross, we can immediately tie that to the shouldering of the curse. And we can say, Christ, as I trust in you, my curse is removed. As I trust in you, you have shouldered it for me. So the eternal condemnation and death, which I deserve, whichever of the commandments that I have broken, and I am guilty against your commandments, I am set free from that condemnation because Christ took that curse on his shoulders for me. Are those your words? It's question and answer 39, your confession. Oh, the Heidelberg Catechism is, is a beautiful statement of faith, people of God. And question and answer 39 is one of those especially beautiful pictures 
It takes the language of Scripture. It takes the reality of the cross. And it takes the reality of of the curse as it is tied to the tree, to the cross. And it takes the reality of Christ taking that upon His shoulders. And it takes that image and it puts it into our confession. And so we say, He shouldered the curse which lay on me. And this is my confession. This is my confession beautiful testimony of faith as one of his saved sinners. You know, the, the, the order of our outline is really, it's really from Galatians 3 as much as it's from Deuteronomy 21. Let's turn there now. Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. And where does, the, where does the apostle begin? He begins with the quotation from Deuteronomy 27 and the words about the curse being tied to all of the law. And he goes there uh, to, to begin his uh, going back to Old Testament passages to tell us all that we are all under that curse if we rely on our own strength. You, you think that you're safe because you, you haven't uh, broken the, the, the death penalty laws or because you haven't broken this law or that law? No, everyone is under the curse. Verse 10, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. The Apostle Paul there is quoting from Deuteronomy 27 into the first first uh, 28 verse 1. All of the law. If you've stumbled in any one point, you're, you're under the curse. Now it is evident, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written. And then, after quoting Deuteronomy 27, he goes back to the language of Deuteronomy 21. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Every Jew who has ever lived, every Gentile who has ever lived, we are all under the curse. But every one of us, Jew or Gentile, who believes in Jesus Christ is set free from the curse because He became the curse for us. Now, I said this morning, uh, for those who are here this morning, and we have a sermon that focused on service. And tonight... We have a sermon that focuses on sin and salvation. Let's say a brief word about service tonight as we come to our conclusion. Because being set free from the curse of sin is nothing like being set free from the superstitious curse of the evil eye. Because if you're set free, supposedly, from the superstitious curse of the evil eye, what does that mean? That means I no longer have an evil eye curse upon me. And if I have no curse upon me, that means that I'm not headed to trouble. Everything will be good with me now. That's, that's, that's the basic line of thinking. And if 
we come to God and we say, God, I'll confess my sins, I'll believe in you, I'll trust in you, and then everything is just going to be good with me, right? You're just going to bless me and I'm, I'm going to have everything I need already on this earth. What have we done? We've really just made God a form of the evil eye superstition. We've said, God, I want you to remove the curse from me. And what I mean by that is, I want everything to go well with me. And that is not what, that is not what the removal of the curse of sin means. And finally, it does mean eternal bliss and union with Christ in the new heavens and the new earth. But as long as we are on this earth, it is not just some removal from some bad things in our life. On the contrary... It's the call to take up our cross and follow Christ. It's our call to take the language from, from later in the book of Galatians. It's our call to crucify our sins out of thankful service to Christ who was himself crucified for us. And so, uh, when we have true faith, let's let us see uh, not some some shallow or really superstitious view of, of what that means for the Christian life. Let us let us see all that it means, all that God calls us for. And so, we'll take some words from the Apostle Peter to come towards our conclusion from First Peter uh, chapter two, uh, verses twenty to twenty-five. Reading this. For two reasons. One, to hear just a few words about the service that we are then called to. And number two, because it's one of the places when the New Testament authors remind us of, of the tree and the curse by using the Greek word for tree in, in, their, in their description. Just by using that word sometimes, the New Testament authors are, are reminding us of, of this old reality, of, of the Old Testament reality that to be on a tree is to be accursed. So 1 Peter 2, verses 20 to 25, For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, if you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called. Not that we've been called to an easy life. No, we've been called to the Christian life, which may include even much suffering. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus, the innocent one, took the curse on the tree for us. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, our Lord, 
how how beautiful are how beautiful are the the words of salvation in your word. <clears throat> 